has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News and World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Elvis Presley was the king of rock and roll and one of the most celebrated musicians of the 20th century. His death is still controversial. Was it drug overdose or a heart attack? The autopsy report declared cardiac arrest as the cause of death. In fact, Elvis's medical history was rather complex and mysterious and involved low back pain, headaches, joint and muscle pain, as well as traumatic brain injury and probably an autoimmune inflammatory disorder. Elvis constantly complained of aches and pains on stage and off and was known to often say, oh God, I hurt. Although his health deteriorated from 1974 until his death in 1977, he remained a cultural icon and continued to perform less than two months before his death. We're fortunate to have as our guests in this series on Elvis's pain, Elvis Presley's personal physician, Dr. George Nicopolis, Elvis's lifelong friend, George Klein, and Dr. Forrest Tennant, pain specialist and addictionologist. In today's show, we'll have an extraordinary opportunity to talk to Dr. Nicopolis. Dr. Nick, as he's known, was Elvis Presley's personal physician for 11 years. He'll discuss personal aspects of Elvis's body pain and how he maintained the health of one of the world's greatest entertainers. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Purdue Pharma, Teva Pharmaceuticals, Atlantis Health Group, and Boston Scientific. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. If you have any questions or comments for Dr. Christo, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. Dr. George Nicopolis is a retired internist and nephrologist. He spent a lot of time with Elvis on the road and at Graceland and became a father figure, confidant, and close friend. Dr. Nick was accused of overprescribing medications that led to Elvis's death and was cleared of criminal charges in 1981. Sadly, the event destroyed his medical career, but admits that he had no regrets and was privileged to have been Elvis's doctor. Today, Dr. Nick is 85 years old, and we're delighted that he's with us to provide a rare opportunity to learn about Elvis's pain, health, and lifestyle. Dr. Nick, welcome to Aches and Gains. Glad to be here. First, tell us about your most recent book, The King and Dr. Nick, what really happened to Elvis and me? During, uh, I guess, the first 30 years after he died, I really couldn't get involved with things that were being said yeah. by different people. And there were a lot of just stories that were made up. Right. So I guess that's why you wrote the book, essentially, then to tell what happened. You, the first part of your book delves into his daily health and psychological problems and the life of a superstar. What was he like? You know, he was very religious. He would talk about death, not just 
his dying, but his friends dying. He was more, more concerned about his relatives dying than about himself, mm. especially his grandmother. And he was very hurt when his mother died, and he didn't feel like she got the proper respect. Yeah, you know, Dr. Nick, the, the second part of your book then talks about how the media created a feeling that Elvis's death was covered up. Right. And, and unfortunately accused you of overprescribing medicines to Elvis that led to his death. I mean, how did you get through that? Oh, I hated it. It just tore me up. Yeah. I mean, I worked so hard to uh, negate these feelings and, and stuff that the media were, were trying to create yeah. because it was so wrong. He wasn't that way. Yeah, I bet that must have been really tough. George, how did you become Elvis's personal physician? I was on call for my group of seven or eight doctors on one Sunday afternoon. George Klein, since his doctor was out of town, couldn't be found. And I was their doctor, and they thought that I could pitch in that day. I drove some 27 miles to um, a ranch where he was. They had been riding horses all week. He had bought uh-huh. all the guys trailer homes and, and, and bought them by horses, and, and uh, he developed saddle sores on his rear end. Uh-huh. He had a picture coming up that in a few days he was having a hard time getting around. Wondered what I could do to treat this acute situation. Sure. He asked me if I would do him a favor and stop by his house on the way back into town to see his grandmother. His grandmother had COPD and and she'd been sick for ten days, two weeks. And if I stopped by and see her, mm-hmm. and I said yeah. And then as I was leaving, he had called and left a message. Would I come back to the house? That he had something he wanted to talk to me about, and we talked for about thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. And then I left and stopped by the house again, and the same thing happened. We wanted me to come back out and talk to him about something. Yeah. He was supposed to leave the next morning or that night to go back to California to had everything set up on the movie set to uh, start, to start shooting that morning. And he wanted me to quit my practice here and move to California and work for him. Huh. I thought about that, and... Uh, by that time, we had developed a relationship, and I thought that would be calling for trouble. Yeah. So I told him that I, could, I, I really couldn't do that. He moved back to Memphis. I became his doctor and the group's doctor. Wow, that's a great story. We have to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk to Dr. Nick about why Elvis chose him. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic the global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Teva, the leading global pharmaceutical company, committed to increasing access to high-quality health care by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. Atlantis Health Group. Atlantis is a comprehensive multi-specialty physician group committed to enhancing the quality and process of healthcare delivery across the country. Visit AtlantisHG.com. And we're back speaking with Dr. George Nicopolis, Elvis Presley's personal doctor. George, why do you think Elvis Presley chose you as his personal physician? I can say he wasn't very smart. <laughs> But mainly because we just hit it off on our first encounters. Yeah, and it sounds like you had a great deal of confidence in you as well. Uh, George, what was the hardest part about being Elvis's doctor? Well, after he, after he moved down, the hardest thing, I guess, was it's so unpredictable. I finally got to the point with him that every night I'd leave the hospital after seeing my last patients, 
I would automatically go by his house. If I did, and I'd go home and start supper, and he'd want to fucking come back by his house yeah. for, for a few minutes, which ended up being a few hours. <laughs> right. Dr. Nick, did Elvis ever get upset with you for not giving him what he wanted? We, we had some encounters. Yeah, and one of them that you mentioned earlier was a time when you were on the road and you went to a dentist because Elvis needed a cap replaced, and uh, Elvis went through the dentist's drug cabinet. What what happened then? He got a grocery sack full of drugs. He didn't know what they were because he didn't have his PDR with him. Yeah. I, took, I took this grocery bag away from him. The mistake I made was doing it in front of people. Mm. I mean, I should have done it in private because mm-hmm. it was kind of embarrassing. He got Superman. We had words and... And the medicine was nothing but antacids, Alka-Seltzer, Geniusil, cold medicines. And he didn't know what they were, but they were just, he thought he might need one. Yeah. And he shot this little pistol, little, little danger. Huh. The thing went off. Of it. I'm sure he wasn't trying to shoot me, but, but when he shot it, the bullet hit was a metal couch. And the bullet ricocheted off that metal and hit me in the chest. Wow. And uh, left a little burn spot on my chest. Wow, that's scary. George, by many reports, uh, you had a close relationship with Elvis. I mean, did he treat you like a father? He did. In fact, his father was, got very jealous, and, mm-hmm. and uh, our relationship deteriorated. Oh, that must have been tough for you. Uh, Dr. Nick, on the other hand, did you consider Elvis to be a son? Yeah, I guess I did at times. Mm-hmm. I guess he kind of fought that situation, too, because at different times, when he'd be looking for his daddy to ask him something, and, his dad would be out of pocket someplace. You know, he had to find me and call my office. And yeah. Now, uh, George, let's switch to some of his medical problems. What What were his prime medical problems? I think the most persistent medical problem was his constipation. Uh-huh. We, we thought his constipation was secondary to medications he was taking. Yeah, sure. I mean, that, that makes sense. And now, at the same time, it sounds like Elvis suffered from quite a bit of pain. I mean, uh, he had low back pain, headaches, uh, joint and muscle pain. Will you tell us more about that? Most of it was related to the shows or his karate. Okay. He had arthritis in his spine, yeah. especially in his neck. And he would get out and do karate moves and stuff like that uh, during a show. And it would be after he did certain numbers that he would have most of his pain. Uh-huh. I tried to have him not do the numbers I thought were creating the pain. But the audience wouldn't let him stop. Those were some of his best songs. Yeah, yeah, I can see that they would never, ever let him stop. Uh, Dr. Nick, what about his headaches? I think some of his headaches were, were migraine headaches. Elvis was also known to have low back pain. How did you treat it? Muscle relaxants and uh, opiates. And his abdominal pain, it seems, was likely due to megacolon, which is an abnormal dilation of the colon with, with paralysis of movement. What did you think at that time was causing it? Drugs, because drugs will constipate you. At the time of his death, we did a, the autopsy. We had done a, what we call a bare minimum where we... we you scope him and you put some barium up in his colon. Yeah. And that was three months before he died. The diameter of his colon was blocked from the barium. His colon stretched out from three or four feet to six or seven feet. Wow. And in, in, in diameter, where it normally was around three inches, he was five or six inches in places. Wow. And there was much barium left still in his colon. 
much lighter. Wow. So the megacolon really was a significant medical problem for Elvis. We have to take a break now, but when we come back, we'll talk to Dr. Nick about his theory about Elvis's constipation and how that led to his death. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Purdue Pharma, making a positive impact on healthcare and on lives, reminding everyone to safeguard medications in their home. Boston Scientific, a leader in microelectric implantable technologies used to treat chronic neuropathic pain. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Nick, tell us about your theory surrounding Elvis's death. Someone figured at the time of his death that he was straining so hard trying to have a bowel moment that that caused his heart to slow down and he has to easier. Well, you know, I didn't realize that that was a prevailing theory of yours because Dr. Tennant, who was a guest on another show in this series uh, on Elvis's pain, uh, felt that uh, the codeine that Elvis was given by a dentist right before his death wasn't metabolized properly and led to high levels of codeine building up in his bloodstream, which then interacted with the multiple other medications Elvis was taking and in turn induced a cardiac arrhythmia and then death. Dr. Nick, it sounds like Elvis suffered from pretty extreme abdominal pain. Yeah, it got, you know, it got progressive. Well, and George, was that due to what we call in medicine polypharmacy, also known as the use of multiple medications? I think that was aggravating. And what about his muscle and joint pain? There again, that goes back to his routine on stage where he, he would do certain dance maneuvers and mm-hmm. stuff where he would aggravate his arthritis or disc. Right, and I think you mentioned before that he did a lot of karate moves on stage during his performances. And, and Dr. Nick, uh, how did you treat his muscle pain? Food issues, heat, and hot towels, and, and muscle relaxants, and pain medicine. You know, given that he had headaches, some migraine headaches, low back pain, abdominal pain, and muscle and joint pain, you know, I'm curious, did he have to, did he retreat from the public ever, or did he have to cancel performances due to pain? Very few times, cancel performance. If he had that much pain, I would usually give him something so he could finish his show. Uh-huh. Sometimes it was Dilaudid, sometimes it was Dineral, sometimes it was some codeine product with a muscle relaxant in it. Right, but he was also getting controlled substances from a doctor in Los Angeles, and I think another one in Las Vegas. Yeah, he would order them, but we usually cut them off, make placebos out of it. And that seemed to ease all of his pain. Sure. And according to your book, you were using placebos for his pain as much as possible. Uh, Dr. Nick, tell us about the pill packets that you were giving Elvis. I mean, these things contained uh, drugs like, uh, I think, hydromorphone, amabarbital, uh, methylqualone, and, um, and dextroamphetamine. The pill packets were mostly bedtime stuff, insomnia mostly. Right, and it sounds like Elvis effectively was misusing and abusing prescription medications as well as receiving medications from other doctors. So is this why you developed the, the concept of pill packets? Because I didn't want him to have control over it. The way I controlled it is that I moved a nurse out there to live on the grounds, uh-huh. and I gave her a list of diagnoses that he had medicines for those specific things. Right. She would evaluate him and uh, tell me what he, what he wanted and what kind of trouble he was having. She was a tough old country girl, and she didn't take any of his bullshit. <laughs> well, and her name was uh, Tish Henley, who uh, moved into a trailer behind Graceland with her husband. And it sounds like uh, Tish would place pills in uh, small brown envelopes and then administer those envelopes to Elvis at appropriate times. Uh, George, you know, there are many, many reports that Elvis was an addict. Was he? I don't think he was a straight addict. I think that I know when he was living in California, he was... Uh, 
was using a lot of addictive drugs and mostly Demerol. But that's when he had control. Sure, and then it sounds like when he moved back to Memphis, you reined that in. Did you try to get him into a substance abuse treatment program? Yeah. Elvis did not want anybody to know that he had any kind of weaknesses. I see. And I'm sure that made it impossible for you to get him into any type of treatment program. George, a current theory is that Elvis suffered from traumatic brain injury, and patients with traumatic brain injury suffer from chronic pain, insomnia, depression, and mental impairments. In retrospect, do you feel that Elvis might have suffered from head trauma? Certainly a good possibility. And some of those mental impairments can include things like obsessive-compulsive behavior and irrational behavior. Yeah, they do a lot of irrational things. Yeah, I mean, I think one of those was in waging imaginary campaigns against drug dealers, for example. Dr. Nick, the media tried to blame you for Elvis's death, unfortunately. How did that impact your life? Well, I lost my license. It cost a lot of money. When it breaks your practice up, it cuts off your income. And when you work as hard as I did and thought as much as I did and had to avoid problems, it just it really hurts for somebody to think that you would do something that would hurt you. Yeah, I mean, I hear the hurt in your voice. George, you were cleared of criminal charges. And it seemed like the trial destroyed your medical career. What did you end up doing afterwards? I went to work for FedEx for a while, about five years. Doing what? I was on a medical consulting board. You know, given the personal and professional price that you paid uh, for being Elvis's doctor, do you ever wish that you, that you hadn't done it? I wouldn't have changed anything. Why? Well, number one is that I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. I had reasons to treat. Yeah. I asked for help experts in the field. Mm-hmm. If, this, if this one doctor had removed part of his colon, he'd still be here. But that wasn't an acceptable form of treatment at that time. And you mean uh, surgical treatment for his megacolon. If he hadn't died so young, do you think his uh, pain would have improved? If we, if we had done that surgery. This doctor in Mississippi, mm-hmm. he'd done the patients like Elvis. They got well. I don't think his emotional skeletal pain would have improved unless he quit doing some stuff he was doing on stage. Yeah, right. I think those karate moves uh, specifically. And, and that doctor that you're referring to in Mississippi, I think was maybe Dr. Lar, who diagnosed his condition as autonomic neuropathy. Elvis had symptoms like sweating profusely, weakness, uh, migraine headaches, rapid weight changes, and slow intestinal transit time, as well as a toxic megacolon. And when the colon gets that big, it causes pretty severe abdominal pain, abdominal distension, and bloating. And by 1977, it sounds like Dr. Lar felt that, really, Elvis was a walking time bomb. When we come back from the break, we'll talk to Dr. Nick about what Elvis's emotional state was like near the end of his life. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Welcome back to the show. We're delighted to have this rare opportunity to talk to Dr. George Nicopolis, Elvis Presley's personal doctor. He's a retired internist and nephrologist, and he also spent a lot of time with Elvis on the road and at Graceland. Dr. Nick became a father figure, a confidant, and close friend to Elvis. Dr. Nick, uh, near the end of his life, it seemed that Elvis was pretty depressed and unhappy. Did you feel this? Did you sense this? I mean, did he talk to you about this? No, he was very unhappy. I mean, just the last few days when he found out 
fiance was not going to go on the, on the tour. No, that was the main thing. Yeah. He must have been pretty lonely as well. I think he was a lot of times. I mean, you know, you know people thought that he was really a, a ladies' man. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he would take some of the fans, the, the girls, and that's uh, half the tonight talking. Yeah. And there would never be anything sexual going on. He liked to have female company around. Right, but it did seem like, um, George, that he really was a ladies' man by all accounts. Not really. I mean, he could have been, but um, I guess at times he was. I mean, at times they just wouldn't leave him alone. <laughs> right, right. Well, Dr. Nick, how do you think Elvis's death could have been prevented? Well, I had two people assigned to Elvis every night. Uh-huh. And these two guys had gotten dates and gotten drugs and were not available when he killed over and hit the floor. Oh, so it sounds like uh, you feel that if those two guys had been there, they might have been able to resuscitate Elvis or call for emergency support. Dr. Nick, how do you think Elvis would like to be remembered? I mean, just a kind, giving guy. And what do you miss most about him? Oh, long talks. This is raising this and we'll play racquetball. <laughs> <laughs> and in your book, you write that you both loved racquetball and especially doubles. He would always get the better player to play with him, so he'd win. <laughs> and finally, how would you like to be remembered as Elvis's doctor? Our association wasn't for what I could get out of it. It was for what I could do for him, health-wise. Yeah, and it seems like you both cared a lot about each other a great deal. And George, I want to thank you for sharing this personal perspective of one of the world's greatest performers, Elvis Presley. He gave me an opportunity to get some things off of my chest. I enjoyed talking to you. Me too. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. If you have any questions or comments for Dr. Christo, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. And here we have a question from Warren from Nashville, Tennessee. I was diagnosed with chondromalacia and tilted kneecaps about 20 years ago. Every now and again, the dull pain behind my kneecaps flares up. I use heat, Advil, and yoga stretches to try to alleviate it. Usually it works pretty well, but I find I have to be really vigilant. If I do certain physical activities, the pain flares up. I'm quite physically active though. I carry a heavy book bag as part of my job, and I walk all over campus and up and down stairs every day. What can I do, in addition to the things I mentioned above, to ensure good knee health? I'm going to be 60 years old. I teach Pilates part-time, and I need to be in good physical health. I feel like I'm going to need surgery at some point. What's the best way to treat my kind of knee pain? Warren, chondromalacia is also known as runner's knee, and it's when the cartilage under the kneecap is damaged. Chondromalacia usually results from direct trauma, overuse, or repetitive irritation from misalignment. Most patients complain of knee pain that increases after long periods of sitting. Ice and elevating the knee can help and avoid aggravating factors such as squatting and kneeling. Straight leg raising with the leg externally rotated to improve strength of the vastus medialis, which is one of the muscles of the thigh, can also help. Steroid injections every six weeks or so can also be useful. Ultimately, surgical interventions such as a lateral retinacular release can be considered. And now we have an email from Markeisha in Coral Springs, Florida. Dr. Christo, why aren't nerve blocks used more frequently in the post-operative management of pain as opposed to frequent use of narcotic analgesics? Markeisha, nerve blocks can be very useful for certain types of surgery. They take time to set up, and you need an experienced anesthesiologist who can place them. Also, the surgeon needs to feel comfortable performing the case with regional anesthesia, which means nerve blocks. If these elements aren't aligned, then nerve blocks typically aren't offered. Today, 
ultrasound-guided nerve blocks are being performed more frequently and with more consistent results. I think you'll see more surgeons and anesthesiologists offering regional anesthesia. There are several patients who prefer to be completely asleep, which is called general anesthesia, for surgery and really don't want any type of epidural, spinal, or nerve block as well. Narcotics, or or opioids, are the common group of medicines that we use to treat surgical pain because they're very effective during the surgery and afterward. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.